All right, now we're recording. Perfect. Welcome to Baby Lee Roth, the podcast about playlists. And now, here are Callie, Erica, and Bridget. Welcome to Baby Lee Roth, the podcast about playlists. I'm Bridget. I'm Erica. I'm Callie. Every week we make a playlist from a randomly selected theme. This week's theme is Poptimism. Now what is that? You may be wondering. Poptimism or popism is a critical philosophy launched by Khalifa Sané and Jody Rosen between 2004 and 2006. The idea is that pop music is not inherently less worthy of critique than rock music. In the 60s, rock critics were struggling to get rock taken seriously when music reviewers mostly thought rock and roll was a dumb trend for kids. By the early 2000s, rock was considered serious, sincere, and authentic, while pop was considered ephemeral and shallow. Optimists argued that authenticity is an arbitrary standard by which to gaze music's importance or depth, and popularity is not automatically a sign of crappiness. At the same time as this critical argument was arising, indie music was having a synth-pop moment, and some notable 90s indie icons were pursuing commercial success. Liz Fair had a top 10 hit, and Kathleen Hanna composed a song for Christina Aguilera. My theory is that millennials and Gen X were ethically exhausted by the rhetoric around 9-11 and two unjustified wars and we all just wanted to have a good time. We were sick of feeling guilty and wanted to simply dance and enjoy music. I remember those years. I was newly an adult, but an adult only in number, (laughs) not in like (laughs) emotional age. to do was dance and have a good time so I definitely spent some time at various nightlife establishments dancing to things like Florida and T-Pain and (laughs) it was a great time I don't know how I feel about this I feel like I (laughs) was both like um removed by both age and just uh, like pop music kind of doesn't have any meaning to me, I guess. Like I, I don't feel any way about it either way. Like I've never been like, Oh, I hate stuff that's popular any more than I like stuff. That's not, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Basically it's just like, it has absolutely no meaning to me. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that is because of my age or I don't know. Cause like I wasn't, listening to a ton of stuff that was on the radio just because I didn't really listen to the radio, but I was like aware of certain songs and like, I've always like stayed abreast of what's popular, but um, I kind of just filtered out what I liked and didn't care about anything else. I just felt like if it was good, then I would listen to it. And if it sucked, then I don't want to waste my finite existence listening to it. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, so so I don't know if that's poptimism or... Well, I think it maybe it is a little bit an age thing because for Erica and I, when we were growing up, there was a lot of just gatekeeping around. Like, if you like punk, you have to be really pure about it and only listen to punk. Or if you like metal, you can only listen... Like, if you like anything else, you're being a poser. And I think because poptimism became such a dominant force in how we talk about music and also with streaming people can listen to whatever they want whenever they want it like really has muddled genres a lot more um right and so I guess I came in at the tail end of that and then and then for me too I was so like unaware of like obviously I was aware of music criticism because my brother I think was writing like he had a music blog at the time and so I was aware of it but it kind of just like did not matter to me because I was like in middle school and I was listening to like (laughs) T-Rex constantly so like I I was aware of like the music that was popular at the time but it was either like I would listen to it and be like "Eh, I don't care for this or I would listen to it and be like oh this is a good song and I would like it There, there wasn't any like pretension or like I was kind of in my own world so yeah which in high school I also was like I'm I wasn't like reading 
Robert Kreisgau and ME <laughs> magazine when I was 14. The main way that this has affected me personally is that it made indie dudes less of an asshole about my music taste. <laughs> that <laughs> like is very perfectly all my life. Yeah. Wanting to date the weird guys with cool taste in music meant that if I even mentioned liking something that was in the top 40, like boys to men or something, yeah, it would not be allowed. just endless derision. So for the type of dudes that I like to date being kind of okay with pop music, it was like, thank fucking God I don't have to like <laughs> pretend I don't like good music to get laid anymore. Yeah. I am talking about the kind of guys who think that like the germs are better than Rihanna. <laughs> Or like um, somebody who would look down and say that you lack emotional depth strictly because you're like bobbing along to a Britney Spears song yeah, or something, exactly. which is like, never the case. Like for some people, the punk purity is more important than the quality of the music. And unfortunately, right. I've dated all of those people. <laughs> I have always defended it because I'm not a person. I don't believe in like as far as music goes, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I'm like, I like what I like and I put it all out on the table and I do not care and I have had people in my life who are like I can't believe you ever liked NSYNC and I'm like I was 16 years old when NSYNC No Strings Attached came out I was the target demographic and I am allowed to like that and many other things at the same time just because you like one thing it doesn't mean that you're lacking emotional depth that you're incapable of liking I don't like using the term good or bad music, but something that is more... Like political or thoughtful. Yeah, or, or like dark technical. Musically complex. Musically complex. My first song is Katy Perry, I Kissed a Girl. I love this song and I love it. I love it. It's dumb and I love it. It has a really good beat and it's very rich in production. And as far as pop music goes, like I wish this is what popular stuff sounded like today because listening to this and then listening to what is popular today, other things today feel very like flat. Whereas this feels very like dynamic and rich as opposed to I find newer production styles tend to lean toward flat and homogenous and processed. And that doesn't mean I'm speaking about everything, but I've taken a fair amount of group fitness classes where you only get to listen to top 40 music. And let me tell you, cannot distinguish one song from another. So that's my rant on that. Um, but this definitely, it just sounds like there's like some life left in it. And Katy Perry, this was like what her second single at the time um, from her first album. And then I also like this song because in 2007, I was also kissing girls and begging my boyfriend at the time not to be mad at me about it. And then I do have a fun fact about this music video is that Kesha appears because she was friends with Katy Perry and she's uncredited, but I did find it on KeshaWiki.com. <laughs> this is where I did my in-depth research. Kesha was just all over 2006 uncredited. I was going to say, I feel like we could get a lot of facts about Kesha not being credited things on KeshaWiki.com. Yeah, one of the song choices that um, was chosen and then removed was Flowrider Right Round, and she sings the hook on that is, and is uncredited. And literally makes the song. Yeah. <laughs> Arguably. We won't get into that. Yeah, but, we're like, not here to... It's crazy yeah, to me. There's- I would say she definitely <laughs> elevates it. The song made a lot of people mad. I mean, rightfully so. I know that like lesbian and gay communities were like, you're just using it to make money. So I mean, yeah, and making making it sound like you can just try on kissing girls for the evening and it's fine. It doesn't mean anything. I get that to a point, but I also feel like that fits into that whole like queer baiting debate where it's like, well, why are you? Why are you speculating on someone's sexuality? Like, do we know for sure that Katy Perry or whoever the the song's perspective is written through isn't the bisexual? The lyrics, though, are that she's just trying it on for the night. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, she but, does but say it, that. Oh, my boyfriend don't mind it. And, yeah. and like, she literally does say, just want to try you on. But also, is that not how some people discover their sexuality? Well, no, that's, yeah. that's exactly what I'm saying is that, A, like, it's a fucking pop song so it's not like anyone's gonna take this advice and you know like I, 
I just don't feel like Katy Perry is necessarily a role model, nor should she be, <laughs> or really any musical artist. And then on top of that, it's like, yeah, like being bi-curious sometimes is just experimenting sexuality. Uh, like, I, I get it, but I also just feel like, is it that serious? <laughs> I mean, Must we speculate on sexuality? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm more I, so I saying that to the critics. I think it's a valid argument, though, I think. I think it's a valid argument, but and I also see the side of feeling it's being gatekeeper for people who are like, I'm gonna, I'm attracted to this girl. I'm gonna make out with her tonight and fucking see what shakes out. In 2007, it's not like pop music was rife with better representations of women loving women there was like i mean it was gay marriage was still illegal so i think people were just a little bit more like if you're going to talk about kissing women can it be in a way that takes the sexuality seriously yeah no that makes sense but it is a banger of a song and i think ultimately yeah a lot of women did discover their sexualities by getting brave with a drink same (laughs) (laughs) that and the bisexuals can't sit right memes (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's another way of finding out My song is My Love by Justin Timberlake. To follow up on what I was talking about earlier, when I was 24, a very cute hipster boy told me the new Justin Timberlake album had three really good songs on it, Sexy Back, Summer Love, and My Love. And this is the first time that I had had a man I was attracted to not shit on pop music, so I didn't have to choose between enjoying rap and Top 40 and getting laid. It's like being freed from a basement. <laughs> um, this is the song that Pitchfork chose as its song of the year in 2006, which makes it a perfect representation of optimism, I think. Pitchfork is known for being super gatekeepy, so for them to pick like a pure pop song is basically them saying pop music is as legit as indie. Um, this is uh, produced by Timbaland, and it's he produced this whole record, and that's it's so very good yeah the beatboxing the weird little sounds like the hee hee sound (laughs) in the background that drove some of the i read a bunch of reviews of this song and some of the critics were like why would you put such a sound in a song it's horrible and other people were like more positive (laughs) most people were more positive this song got compared a lot to Are You That Somebody by Aaliyah, which features a little baby sound and was also produced by Timbaland, which feels like Aaliyah feels so much earlier, like a decade earlier. It was a yeah, decade earlier. Like he was making hits for like 25 years. I always forget how late Aaliyah like died. Like I always forget that it was like the 2000s. I always think of it as like the 90s. But are you that somebody came out in the 90s for sure? It was on the Dr. Doolittle soundtrack. <laughs> it also wasn't on Spotify for the longest time. Once it finally was, I was like, oh, I can finally. Thank God. Um, I'm like well-versed on what is and is not on Spotify. <laughs> well, Aaliyah was a big deal that she was yeah. on Spotify too. So I remember this era specifically like this amount of time and like Timbaland was everywhere this was like so I had first moved to LA and I had like a couple radio presets that I had found because it wasn't like I had like my mix CDs which I could only do with like the plug-in tape adapter so I just listened to the radio and I had like a pop music station I'd found like k-rock and then the indie 103 that was really all I could find on there and I didn't have like the little scanny thing so I listened to the pop station a lot and every fucking song was Timbaland. And like like um, that Apologize song, Ugh. which was every time you turn on the radio. And then I liked it. So I also burned a CD on it So with that on it. So I heard that song Hated nine million times. Song. Who was that? One Republic. One Republic. <laughs> we answer <laughs> so fast. Kelly yeah, just made the most sour face. I forgot about that shit. So you yeah. just mentioned it. And I was like, but he was everywhere. And it was like, I like, it's crazy because I wasn't really aware of producers or production until 
fairly recently and seeing the names that were so popular in this window of time. It was like there was Timbaland, there was Dr. Luke, who was the guy that did the last, uh, the Katie, like Katy Perry and, and Kesha. He's the guy that Kesha ended up suing, whatever. And then there's like, um, yeah, alleged rep rapist, yeah, alleged Dr. rapist, Doctor Luke, and then um, Dark Child, like Dark Child, no, nah, no, nah, that guy, and like just these huge names that had like just strings and strings of Pharrell. endless pop music success. Anyway, it was it's very like everything's related for one. Also, Justin Timberlake's little beatboxing, like I have. A photographic memory and I can remember where I was and what I was watching when I saw him do his little solo come out of the boombox for like I love you at some award show and he does his little like beatbox there and then like how big of a deal it was everyone's like oh my god he's solo is Insync getting back together he did a beatbox and like lost their fucking minds <laughs> over it so then this song coming out was also like huge and it was like well respected everybody was like yes Justin Timberlake, who had then, I think after Justified, it was when he went to like no longer the ramen noodle hair. And we're like, it was like, that is correct. And he's making legitimate music. And it was allowed to respect it by all of the other people, like all the people that would put you down previously for liking NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys. But again, like, like, Callie, you're like, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of like I listened to Ray Dinner because I was in middle school. But I'm like, I was like freshly an adult, freshly moved yes, to L.A., yeah. like having new experiences left and right, making bad decisions left and right that will like haunt me till the end of my days. And of course, those memories <laughs> have a soundtrack. So why would I not yeah. <laughs> remember every minor detail of every song that came out in this window of time? Yeah. Well, I'm here to talk to you about <laughs> Glamorous by Fergie. Um, this was like one of the songs that I remember hearing at the time and actually liking it. Which is surprising because the last thing I heard from Fergie was on the Black Eyed Peas My Humps, which (laughs) I also liked, but it's not exactly something that would make me at all interested in a solo album by any of the individual peas. (laughs) Like, I didn't hear My Humps, and and I'm like, I wonder what Fergie is going to do next. (laughs) Individual peas? I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) But much to my surprise, she came out with this. I will say it's one of the only few songs on the CD that I actually like or the album that I actually like. Really just this and London Bridges. <laughs> I think the biggest hit off of it was that Big Girls Don't Cry or whatever, which I fucking hated. I hated that song. But this is a good song. First time I had the CD, my friend, me and my friends were like dumb metalheads in high school. <laughs> like, especially my freshman year. That was when I saw like Dio open for Black Sabbath. So we were very much like... <laughs> dorky metalheads and um one day I just noticed that my best friend had this in her locker and I was like why the fuck do you have a Fergie CD in your locker and she was like it's my sister's and it's good (laughs) like you can borrow it and I was like all right so I did um because I'll listen to anything and um yeah there are only two songs on it I like so womp womp but I found out that um speaking of producers (laughs) The two songs that I like are both produced by Polo de Don. So I feel like that's why I like them. Because I don't particularly care for Fergie. <laughs> don't really know that it's her making this song good. But Polo de Don's production gives it an airy smoothness that reminds me of like set in sheets. I don't know if that's maybe because on the cover she's in sheets or whatever. But It is really smooth. And it is really silky. smooth. And it's like, yeah, there's a like a really luxurious texture to it. Yeah. Definitely. And Polidodon had a lot of good hits at this point. There's Glamorous London Bridges from Fergie, and then he did Throw Some D's by Rich Boy, which is also Mm -hmm. good and sounds a lot like Glamorous um, in many ways. And then he did Pimpin' All Over the World by Ludacris, which is the other Ludacris song I like. (laughs) Forgot Um, about that Ludacris song. (laughs) Aside from Sex Room. 
I also like Ludacris's verse on this, which is something I very, very rarely say. Um, but I feel like his Polly Shore flow works here, and it's short and sweet and funny, so why not? Polly Shore flow. He's doing the Polly Shore thing. Lettuce and shoe what fetish is, is a great rhyme. <laughs> the Tower of Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Like Polly it's true. Holy he shit. says, what is the, um, all the finer things? Yeah. <laughs> Luda also has this flow where he's just like, he just like pronounces things weird. It's like, yeah. he'll be like, let me tell you what I'm about to do. <laughs> he, he pronounces do with like a lot of ease and use in it. One of the songs that I considered was one of the, like one of the ludicrous songs, but the ludicrous songs of this era were like um, the How Low Can You Go song, which is like, I heard if you drop it in the mirror no, enough times, yeah, oh. <laughs> ludicrous will appear. Oh. And it has that horrible, like, chipmunky, How Low Can You Go. Oh my God. And yeah, then, that song is absolute garbage. God. But there's a meme, there's a meme using that, which I will send to the chat. It's the fucking, it's my favorite thing that exists on the internet. Okay, I would like to see it. Um, but then, okay, and then the other thing that I remembered, and I think this one was from 2005, it's the one that interpolates or samples, actually, the Baby Lee Roth alumni Quincy Jones Soul Bossa Nova number one spot. And it's like, for some reason, extremely laden with Austin Powers references. The music video is literally him dressed as Dr. Evil with like Bern Troyer also dressed, but he's wearing an afro and he's like got him. Like, it's all Austin Powers scene, but it's like, I tried to look up and this is not even related to the movie at all. It's just like, he just really wanted to rap about Austin Powers. Um, and then also... <laughs> Ludacris is such a literal person and he didn't know what a roast was and he went on the Comedy Central roast of Justin Bieber and like after it they interviewed him and he's like why was everybody so mean and they were like well it was a roast and he was like I don't think I knew what I was getting into (laughs) and they made a lot of jokes at his expense and he's like like, he looks very sad in it (laughs) so he's very precious I know. know what a goddamn roast is. Grown ass man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy it. My favorite thing about Ludacris is that he is always in things where he's changing his body size. Like there's that one album cover where he's yeah. got the big head. And then oh my God, there's yeah. the one video where he got the big hands. And then he was in um, Fred Claus and he's just a, a elf. He's in Fred Claus? Yeah, that's the one with Vince Vaughn, right? Can we talk a little bit more about Fergie herself? She's like a living Yeah, name. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very memeable human. Do y'all remember the movie Nine and how she appeared in that? No. No, I no. have no Fergie information except that she's my friend's cousin. Well, remember, okay, <laughs> That's not That's a pretty to significant like, piece of information. Not to bring up old stuff, but remember when she was photographed having wet her pants on stage? Uh, yes, I do. I do. And remember that. when she did black backflips all over a stage with? Uh, <laughs> yes, but only because I recently watched that video because it was on Instagram. It's so funny. <laughs> There's two backflipping videos. One where she sings while backflipping. I would like to see that. <laughs> Wasn't it on like Good Morning America too? It's outside. And then there's another one where AM just like all the musical performances on Good Morning America are cursed and should not exist. Yeah, super unhinged. It's just not a time for live music. No, it's too early (laughs) at nine a.m. And she's also married to a very handsome man named Josh Duhamel or Duhame, perhaps I don't know. Just say his name. I'm not Canadian. I almost picked my humps for this because my humps is, it needs to be in the American Songbook. It's a great song. It samples a really good song that I love. Yeah. It samples I Need a Freak by Sexual Harassment. It interpolates it. It (laughs) has the amazing lyrics, like the most amazing lyrics. I especially like when Will I Am just like doesn't rhyme breasts with anything. Like, just out of nowhere, he's just like, What you gonna do with all that breasts? All that breasts inside that shirt. Like, fuck it, I don't have to rhyme. Like, you don't even need to use breasts. right there. Yeah. 
all that breast, but I guess that's not as cool. Like all that breast on top of your chest. That's, that's kind of whack, but somehow all that breast inside your shirt fucking rules. And I don't inside even like who I am. Yeah. No, fuck that. It's way cooler to just not rhyme. <laughs> it's more artistic. Just let it go. My home says the only thing I like that Will I Am ever did. Black Eyed Peas were also a band that was completely inescapable in this time. They were everywhere 100% of the time. They had like, I swear to God, there were, it was like the whole album or at least six to seven singles that were in constant rotation on the radio. And you could just flip through and you would hear either Black Eyed Peas or LMFAO on any, it was like, oh God, anything else. That was a terrible time actually that part yeah. no, I like, hate the black eyed peas I, I hate the hate black eyed peas except my humps which I feel like is the song that everyone hated and I'm like it's the only good thing the black eyed peas ever did what, what's the good thing they did where's the love get out of here um the one where they say Laheim remember when they were trying to make Will I Am seem like fucking Bob Dylan or like yeah some kind I of fucking hate that singer? guy me too yeah. I, this I is a him. man who wrote the R word into his lyrics he titled the song. Yeah. Let's get yeah, it started. Let's, let's get, get it started. started. That's the one where they say Laheim. I'm very familiar with the Black Eyed Peas output from that era because I like obsessively played The Herbs, which was like a spinoff of The Sims. And the whole point <laughs> of the game was to like get in with different crowds. And so you would like go to different neighborhoods and like learn different like handshakes and different ways of communicating and you would change your clothes. And like if you were wearing the wrong type of clothes, you wouldn't be able to make friends. And so your whole like point was to like go to different parts of neighborhoods and like it was really fucked up too because it was like the rap neighborhood and it was like very stereotypical and fucked up. But the Black Eyed Peas had their whole neighborhood. So like all of the members of the Black Eyed Peas were in it and you could become friends with all of them. And they had like a bunch of their music in it too. Was this like licensed content? How weird. Yeah, it was like they were like, it was the herbs featuring the Black Eyed Peas pretty much. Like they had their own neighborhood. That's so weird. And then if you got popular enough, you got your own penthouse suite and a pet monkey. It was fucking <laughs> sick. I actually, I actually recently replayed it and beat it, and it was still fun. My next choice is Cobra Starship, Snakes on a Plane. This song is super dumb and super catchy. It was written for the movie Snakes on a Plane, starring Samuel L. Jackson, and opens with the clip of him shouting, I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. This song has absolutely no lyrical content of any depth or importance. it goes off really hard and like i personally feel like you have to work pretty hard to actively dislike it so i remember this song being everywhere in 2006 because i had just started a job like i was already a very online person but then i started a job working for a website that had an online community and an online forums and stuff and the whole thing about this movie was that it was a big internet thing And there were lots of different contests and there were lots of memes that came out of it and blogs. And then like people would make parody videos on E-bombs world and stuff. (laughs) And at one point you could send a personalized voicemail of Samuel L. Jackson to your friends, which I both sent and received. (laughs) Me too. And then, so, and then this movie, like I heard about it so much and then it became so popular that the production new line cinema did six additional days of reshoots to like add in some of the memed stuff to satiate the internet and then when it came out the movie did really poorly anyway (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) but i like this song a lot it is just dumb and the music video is equally dumb and literal and I like that, like, everybody knows about this movie. They know I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. And I know nobody who's seen it. (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen it. I thought about watching it yesterday morning, like, before we were going to record. And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have no need to see this again. Lest I remind everyone that we do have a finite existence on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again. There's a 
an interview where Samuel L. Jackson, like, people kept asking him, they're like, why did you sign on to do such a piece of shit movie? And he was like, hey, this is the kind of movie I would have wanted to see when I was 13. Just a <laughs> dumb, pointless action movie. Like, I don't care about the plot. And I was like, all right, like, I can respect Samuel that. Jackson is one person that I feel like will never, ever lose his integrity just because, like, it has he's none. just like yeah, he, but but it's like he's he's completely impervious to it. It's yeah. like he doesn't need yeah. integrity. It's exactly. like we all we all think Samuel Jackson is cool. He's like the, it doesn't yeah. matter what he does. It, yeah. Like he could he could do anything. He's in those fucking credit card commercials, and I'm still just like cool. Love the coolness it. Coolness yeah. is inherent to him. It cannot be given or taken away. He's Nick Fury, which is like like an agent. He's an agent of Shield, which is like inherently fucking nerdy. And you're yeah. like, he's still like cool. an ultimate cop. <laughs> right? Like, why do I, I shouldn't know his name. That's a character whose name I should not know. And I'm still like, he's cool. <laughs> he comes on and you're like, oh. <laughs> I liked when he said that, like, he just likes hentai. What? Who <laughs> <laughs> doesn't, brother? You know? Fuck. <laughs> My next pick is MGMT's song, Kids. MGMT, or The Management, are some inoffensive lads whose first few gigs after they got signed were at Harvard and Yale Spring Flings. This song is from their album, Oracular Spectacular. <laughs> is that how you say it? I don't know. Um, it might be said I think it's Oracular Spectacular. <laughs> which NME picked as their favorite album of 2008. Um, the band sued Nicholas Sarkozy. Thought I'm definitely not saying right, but I'm not going to because I hate him. Um, the ex-president of France for using it in his campaign without permission and then for offering an insultingly low compensatory amount in the amount of one euro. <laughs> and they said... We just think it's a little, uh, this is not an exact quote, but they were like, well, this is the party that's pushing all the anti-piracy regulations and they're not, and then they're using our song illegally. We just think that's kind of whack. The video features Joanna Newsom and a toddler and also um, a quote misattributed to Mark Twain, but actually written by ultimate limp dick dork, Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, it's the one about not letting the darkness I mean, the abyss or whatever the monsters, you know, don't come into a monster. <laughs> don't, don't turn into a monster. <laughs> I'm having a hard time here. Um, <laughs> the video was played on the eighth season of Beavis and Butthead, which is like learning that Mastodons and Cleopatra lived at the same time. stopped playing this song live for a long time which I think is whack <laughs> that is what I think is whack play the big hit fellas it's how people got into music and this is a great song be Don McLean not Radiohead for real I was talking about this recently like if you go to a show if you went to Cool and the Gang and they didn't play Celebration you'd be like why didn't I hear Celebration Precisely. I would be more unhappy if I didn't hear Ladies Night well, Cool in the Gang has a long and story. <laughs> Honestly, if Cool in the Gang didn't play Ladies Night, I would lose my fucking shit. Actually <laughs> the good news is having seen Cool in the Gang, they open with it. <laughs> Their set list does not change. <laughs> well, that's, that's so they won't play it. comparison because they but, have so many hits that you know there's gonna, they're going to release play some of them. Okay. All right. It's, It'd be like going to see Cobra Starship and they didn't play Snakes on a Plane. Yes. You'd be like, the whole is. reason I came. You'd be like... I paid entry to this state fair yeah. for a reason. And it was to hear. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I like the song a lot, though. It's really fun. And the lyrics are kind of poetic, but I actually don't even know what they're talking about, but I like them. They bring up images in my mind. Is this the one with the trees? Yeah. Yeah. I like this one. The other big one they had that was kind of everywhere was Time to Pretend. 
But yeah. um, but and I also like electric yeah. feel. Electric. Oh, electric feel, yeah. Which is I guess all three are great songs. I don't know any of their other music, and I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that's the only three I know. Too. So what if you went to their show and they didn't play any of those three? It's like. Well, I wouldn't go to their show because I know they wouldn't play any of those three. Mm. Do they play it now? Or was it like they, they stopped playing sometimes. the song live for a long time? Okay. Sometimes they play it live now. They actually have a bunch of albums after this, but I've never listened to any of them. That's news to me. <laughs> Sorry. So rude. <laughs> See, the, being gatekeepy does not make people excited to listen to your music. If the people are anything like me. Which, who wouldn't be? I was always really snobby about MGMT. And I was just like, why would I listen to MGMT when I can listen to Sparks? So, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm glad that I was snobby towards them if they're going to be snobby towards their fans. Because fuck that shit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that little Dark Age song, too. I forgot about that. I'm on their Wikipedia page looking for all their hot hits. <laughs> one that I, liked. I think that was like the last hit, though. But yeah, Little Dark Age is good. Nah, I don't think I know that one. It's actually, it's probably come up on some indie playlists that I've been forced to listen to at some point. But like, I don't know. My brain categorizes them as being something more to like the indie side, but like they were getting played on the radio like literally alongside fucking Rihanna and right. Lil Wayne. Which, <laughs> so. I think that this is what frustrates me about like quote unquote rockism or this idea that like popularity is inherently bad. Mm -hmm. It's not a sign that the songs are bad, that tons of people like them, but that is what the implication seems to be when MGMT gets all like weird about being associated with it. Yeah. It's that thing where someone's entire personality trait and likes and dislikes are immediately disliking something that's popular strictly mm-hmm. based on the fact that it's popular, which is like extremely limiting. And like you, you have no joy in your life. <laughs> like we yeah. don't, not everybody has to like all the same things, but liking something because it's popular a lot of times, like it's well liked for a reason because yeah. it's listenable and it's danceable and it's enjoyable. Well, it's also like, why wouldn't you want other people to enjoy the same music as you? Like, I never understood that. I guess, I guess the argument there is that the wrong people are liking it, but that's that's so fucked up. Like, which is part of the reason I feel like I was always kind of snobby about MGMT because I have like a very idiosyncratic, like, (laughs) I guess it would be kind of raucous, but it's like if I'm meant to like something, like. It would seem like I would like MGMT, but for some reason, just that fact annoyed me. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't completely like understand that. It's mm-hmm. oh, it's only been recently that I've started to be like, oh, yeah, they had some good songs. But up until that point, I was like, I'll just listen to this <laughs> glam rock band from the 70s. I don't need MGMT. I understand that completely. When people think that I'll like certain TV shows or movies because the character is redheaded. You're really frustrated. <laughs> like everyone wanted me to watch The Queen's Gambit and I don't care about chess. Why would I watch that? I get that I will like Stranger Things because I like I'll like the soundtrack and I'm like you're missing the whole point of there being a monster and me being afraid of it. I can listen to 80s music anytime I want you can without to being afraid. Anytime. Like, that's the other thing is I don't even feel like the, the soundtrack is particularly inventive. It's not like they're digging deep no. to find really no. cool, like, 80s music. They just put a fucking horror story to, like, Foreigner. It's like, it's, oh, okay, I, I could listen to Waiting for a Girl Like You on Gene Simmons' sex tape. I don't need to watch it on <laughs> Stranger Things. It's very manipulative. boy, boy, can you get it up? Come here, rude boy, boy, is you big enough? I'm not a big Rihanna fan or let me rephrase that. I like Rihanna as an entity. She consistently looks cool. I like her attitude. I think she's talented. I love her with ASAP Rocky. Her baby is adorable. And I like her music if I happen to hear it. I just don't really give a shit if she ever releases music again. I liked her last album, Anti, but frankly, she can just exist as Rihanna and make underwear and makeup and just look really cool for the rest of eternity for all I care. I demand nothing of Rihanna. (laughs) That being said, Rude Boy was one of the songs from 2010 that I remember legitimately liking. The song didn't sound like anything else on the radio, at least to me. It was a bop. The video is cool. It referenced Grace Jones in the video. It was just like things that I could relate to and thought were cool. 
and that was not always the case with popular music in the in the um, early 2000s. So yeah, it resonated. I love this era of Rihanna. I think my favorite song of that era is S and M, but it just goes S S S S. I consumed a lot of these because I would get up early in the morning and watch MTV. So like so many of them are so associated with the music video for me because I, I listen to them more than I watch. Mm-hmm. Or I watch MTV more than I listen to the radio. And I remember liking the video to S&M because it was just like weird and um, I associate it spooky with... Uh, <laughs> MTV show, Randy Jackson's America's Best Dance Crew. (laughs) (laughs) My friend Sam and I watched near every season of, and uh, it was all, it was this music. This was the music that it it all was. It was all like pop and like every time there was a Rihanna song, there was a Pitbull song. There was an That just unlocked a deep memory for me. Yeah, Randy so. Jackson is on TV. Randy Jackson is my yeah. second favorite member of Journey. <laughs> <laughs> After Steve Perry, of course. I think I need you to elaborate. Randy Jackson was a Journey. What? No. no. He was the bass player of Journey. When? No. For, um, Not the same Randy Jackson. He, was that... Uh, it's a no from me, dog, Randy Jackson. That he was in Journey? Yes. No way. <laughs> Look it up, bitches. He was in Journey. <laughs> he played fucking, on... Um, he played on... Fucking um, shit, ra- fuck. The radio, whatever. He did Raised he on was, Radio. Uh, yeah, Raised on Radio, which is one of my favorite Journey albums. I was oh. kidding about him being my second favorite member of Journey, but that being said, Raised on Radio is a really good album. Yeah, okay, so this is like... Yeah, Raised... I don't know. Probably the Neil, Neil Sean, Sean or what the fuck ever his name. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah. just like Journey, <laughs> which is just Santana. <laughs> yeah, like the, I, I don't care. I don't care. Steve Perry made Journey for me. Steve Perry and Randy Jackson. Okay, I didn't know that. This is my guess. Yeah, We're always you, learning. Watch, this is a philosophical podcast. If you watch the video, to Girl Can't Help It, which is my favorite Journey song, I do love. Girl Randy Can't Jackson Help appears it. in that video. He was the bass player. I did not mean for that to be a groundbreaking fact. I thought that was for, <laughs> no, for some I, reason. I love that groundbreaking fact. For some reason, fact. I thought that was a well-established fact that I had everyone no knew. Idea. No, I mean, yeah, that, I don't know anything Randy about Jackson Journey was a bass or Randy player Jackson, Jackson, but that's <laughs> remarkable. No, but I'm going to use this information as a weapon at some point. <laughs> I actually didn't know one single thing about Randy Jackson from before. Um, it's no for me, dog era. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, all he really did on America's Best Dance Crew on the very last episode, he would come out and hand the trophy. How at like the Super Bowl or like the NBA like championship, like the commissioner comes out and hands over a trophy. Here you go. And then that's you're like, oh, this fucking guy. So that was the only time you really saw him. But anyway. I feel like that's in any situation, that's what you say about Randy Jackson. Because when he's in Journey, it's like this fucking guy. <laughs> I feel like the only spot that he makes sense in is maybe American Idol, but that's because he's like his best known role. Um, I think we can all agree that Rihanna is the best though. Yeah. I don't even particularly like her music and I love Rihanna. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like you don't need to. I care like 0% if she ever releases a new song or sings another note again. Same. And, for but sure. I would be really sad if she stopped making makeup. Like, I'm really proud of her for creating a fucking empire. And I know, like, yeah. I'm just like, I'm yes. I'm for that, but I don't yeah. even give a fuck if she makes makeup anymore. I can't afford, um, well, I probably could if I stopped buying so many toys, but <laughs> I, 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 I choose not to prioritize buying her makeup, but. It's really great makeup. <laughs> She's is. also really Yeah, I delightful. want some. I should buy some. She's an amazing addition to any movie that she chooses to be into. Like Ocean's Age, she's really, just really so charming in it. I'm just happy that she exists in the world. And there's not many people I can say about that. She's such a blessing upon us. Just her and Randy Jackson. She always (laughs) just has this air about her that she's just going to do whatever the fuck she wants. And I really appreciate that. Like, she's just. But she's also, like, good at it. Like, that's what I appreciate it because I like quality. 
Yes. And Rihanna always delivers quality. So I can appreciate that. Even if I don't, it's not particularly like to my sensibilities. Yeah. And like, I don't dislike any Rihanna music, but I don't necessarily go out of my way to listen to it. But I have absolutely no problem with it. Except for Rude Boy. I really, I mean, that's why I picked this because I remember when it came out, we were in the car with my friend. And one of my ex-friends, who is the same one who told me to change my industry. Oh, my God. <laughs> which is why I don't talk to her anymore. Um, but the but the same friend was, like, going through, like, a fake hipster uh, phase because she wanted to get laid. And um, <laughs> me and my me and my best friend, Been like, there. she was listening to Rihanna. And we told her to turn Rude Boy up. And she was, like, went on this, like, monologue about how it's a sellout. And I was, like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, it's Rihanna. <laughs> That's so stupid. Who cares? <laughs> you can't sell out if you weren't like like we're talking we're talking about SOS Rihanna, right? Right. Like, like, yeah. You can't sell out if you were never like against the system. Yeah. Like right. <laughs> selling out yeah. is when you start out being anti-capitalist and then take a big record contract. You can't be that if you were always after a big record contract. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. At no point was she like fuck capitalism. I feel like one of the triumphs of poptimism, and I don't know if this was specifically related to how like it pop like gained critical acclaim, but I feel like both Rihanna and Beyonce reached a point where like you could tell that they'd done like the pop music thing that a lot of particularly black artists and particularly women artists have to do to reach a point where they can make the create like creative music that they want to make yes and then like beyonce did the her self-titled album lemonade Mm -hmm. um renaissance renaissance yes i love that album but i couldn't remember what it was called i kept thinking because that's my favorite (laughs) song on it but but yeah like like these like bodies of work and anti is the same thing yeah Mm -hmm. but it's like yeah maybe they had to make like fucking like make concessions to be able to finally or not or not like I think be, that yeah. all of those albums were good and had their own merits but it's like I don't think that selling out is always bad because sometimes after that you can make this really creatively like articulate album I think that's so totally true for so many reasons like maybe they grew as artists because they finally had enough like commercial success to not be stressed out about paying the bills, you know, like, right. I think the approach that taking money for your art is (laughs) bad or whatever is very privileged by, and it's something that you can only say if you have the luxury of not taking money for your art. Yeah, right. As an artist, yeah, I, I want people, people would pay. Me pay for my yes, exactly. <laughs> I would. I want to be paid for. My, that's the whole, the whole fucking point. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. And, and the thing about like anti and Beyonce's like most recent albums is that they are like super listenable and soup have like a whole bunch of radio hits on them, but they're also like really, really creatively great albums. Yeah. So like the two creative. could exist at the same time as well. Yeah. But a lot of the time it takes money to make quality stuff yeah. and have the time to sit down and make quality stuff. Yeah. And that's really hard to do in a record industry that wants everything to be made by a synthesizer so that they can only pay one person instead of a whole orchestra. Sometimes I feel like I live in Grand Central choice is Lady Gaga and Beyonce Telephone. I remember when this song and music video were released. It was like a pop culture event. So it was really exciting. And here's the thing. I don't consider myself to be like a huge Lady Gaga or a Beyonce stan. And I feel very much the same way I do about Rihanna where I'm like, yes, make music or don't make music or do whatever you want to do. But then on the other hand, Poker Face is still the most listened to song in my entire iTunes library, even after 15 years. And I'm a person who gets stuck in song jail a lot. So you can imagine how many times I had to listen to that for it to still be number one. 
Um, and then I also saw Beyonce at the Rose Bowl, which means that I like Beyonce more than I hate huge crowds. And I had a panic attack there. So like a public one. <laughs> so that shows you how much I guess I like Beyonce, but whatever. Uh, so this song was like massively hyped up and then it did not disappoint. There were like like teaser images released of like Lady Gaga's like the telephone in her hair and like the diner outfits and stuff. Um, and then the music video is also stupid good. And it's very like Thelma and Louise kind of like they want it to be like Quentin Tarantino style where Beyonce comes to Lady Gaga's rescue after she kills her boyfriend. And then they drive through the desert to escape. And then they end up at a diner and poison everyone's food. And then they dance about it. So the song came out in like 2009, I think. And then I remember in 2009 or maybe it was early 2010, I had to drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, which is about a four hour drive. And I listened to this song for two hours straight. And then I switched over and listened to Chicago Saturday in the park for the Holy remaining shit. two hours. That is maximum security. I told you jail. I get stuck in song, song super max. I get stuck in song jail a uh, lot. <laughs> so. I think that they actually have the, Pussy Wagon from Kill Bill Part 1. They in do. This video. They do. Uh, as we recall from, I think, there's been multiple episodes now where we've discovered that I've seen no Quentin Tarantino <laughs> movies. I thought about mentioning that and I was like, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. And I was like, eh, it'll bring it up. <laughs> the brand is strong. But anyway good song and it's a good music video and i love how stupid the lyrics are and like there's all these interviews where they try to talk about like lady gaga's like oh i'm really talking about like my work and this and i'm like it's a dumb song about your boyfriend calling you at the club and you're like because i'll be dancing <laughs> the art okay. of this song is 100 percent the video not the song itself the song is a massive banger yes. like i love how intensely they're singing about bubs in the club or whatever <laughs> but it's definitely just yeah like really pure perfect pop music i like the the rhyme in this song that's really funny is um i feel like i'm grand central station station because you're like um sometimes i feel like i live in grand central station <laughs> Tonight I'm not taking no calls because I'll be damn son. Why do you feel like you're living in Grand Central Station? There are not a lot of phone calls Just incoming so messages. to that place. Like it makes no sense. Is there a lot of it's traffic? It's just so many trains going in and out. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to listen to me <laughs> sing it to remember what the lyrics were. I like that you sang um, it as if it was Cookie Monster singing it. Yeah. <laughs> Every time Hunter catches me singing something, he goes, what if you sang it in your little nice person voice? And I'm like, I can't. I, I cannot. There's a video he caught me making dinner and singing Prince Kiss. But like how Julia Roberts sings it in Pretty Woman. I'll have to send it to you because it's like, I didn't know he was there. And then he edited it with a music video. So that should probably go up on her I'm just Instagram. My next choice is Lollipop by Lil Wayne, my patron saint. Um, this is just going to be a word association, basically stream of consciousness about Lil Wayne. So buckle up. <laughs> Lil Wayne has a bowling alley in his house. He got signed to Cash Money Records when he was 12. The Carter Three is actually his sixth album. This song, Lollipop, which is like just all auto-tune and... <laughs> and his vocal fry um, is it was his first really big mainstream hit um, and introduced mainstream audiences to his lyrics, which are super weird and include a lot of strange comparisons. And he hardly ever writes them down. He um, just has all his thousands of songs memorized. He's so fucking adorable. His voice, he sounds kind of like E.T. His vocal fry makes me so happy. Um, Lollipop was 2008's most downloaded ringtone. 
Um, okay. And then the last thing I want to say is that, oh, actually there's two more things I want to say. One is that, as we mentioned in the flutes episode, the first bar of the song sounds exactly like the first bar of Reflections by Diana Ross and the Supremes, but I can't find any information about whether producer Jim Johnson actually sampled Reflections. And also Lil Wayne considers himself a perfectionist, which is crazy because he puts out like or maybe not anymore, but for a while there, he was putting out like 25,000 songs a year. Oh my God. Like 2008 to 2010, there was like literally no song that he was not on. If you haven't watched the Lil Wayne, Katie Couric, either of the Lil Wayne, Katie Couric interviews, you should watch them. Uh, They're, he's just so darling. He's so fucking precious. Oh, he's so, just so He's darling. so cute. I like the part where she goes, so you stopped... Drinking syrup and doing codeine. Why? Why'd you stop? And he goes. The doctor told me to. <laughs> like he would clearly still be like in the depths yeah. of a codeine addiction if a doctor wasn't like you know. <laughs> my favorite little Wayne moment prior to the Carter Three was stunting like my daddy with Birdman, where it's just him and Birdman oh, driving God, around on these little like yeah. bikes. It's like, aw, father and, and son. What a fucking yeah, name. What a name. Birdman, oh a.k.a. baby. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Two cool names father in one. Um, Respect um, In the Katie Couric interview, he talks about being 17 and, and having a platinum album and having to go to school. He was still going to regular public school in Holly Grove, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And he, his mom saw him putting his handgun in his backpack to go to school. And she was like, you have to take that to school with you? And she had bought it for him for protection. And he was like, yeah. She was like, you don't go to school anymore. Get a GED. This is ridiculous. (laughs) And then he went to college. (laughs) Yeah. And he was a straight A student in high school. Yeah. Isn't that so cute? That's why he's so smart that he can write lyrics that are like real G's move in silence like lasagna. And and now he's a pro skater. (laughs) And now he's a pro skater. I know. Boy, I love him so much. Easy. I downloaded The Block is Hot from Napster in 1999, probably when he was like putting his handgun into his backpack because I think he was at the same time. 17 and I was the 16. The moment that you hit download, yeah, we were he was both... taking his gun out of his backpack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was like, I think he's, he's, he was born, he's one year older than me. So, um, but yeah, The Block is Hot is really funny. I like, because that well, and that was Cash Money, and Cash Money was um, juvenile, and I think was big timers on Cash Money as well. I used yeah, to be. Cash I used Money to know like Birdman's record where I used to make yeah. everybody kiss her, kiss him on the lips. That's another one where <laughs> that's how you that's how you Cash Money you smooch Birdman's disgusting gold plated mouth. Uh, the other person that's on the song passed away, and I'm sorry to say I did not do any research on them. It was Sorry. Static, static Major. major? Well, he appears in the video, I think, and it's like R.I.P. Static Major. I One of my picks for this playlist was Got Money, and then we had a conversation in the group chat where we were like, Lollipop was far more yeah. ubiquitous. Well, I feel like, I feel <laughs> like it was just more, more so because I think it was more R&B. Yeah. yeah. Like, because Got Money had T-Pain, but... I, yeah. I, Got Money mm-hmm. is more, the track is way more of a hip hop yeah. track and the track yeah. to Lollipop is way more like electro pop. Yeah. But that's what's so cool and, about And rap. this era had so much electro pop stuff, like 2008 to 2009. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that yeah. was what everyone wanted on the radio. Yeah. And I love that Lil Wayne consistently calls himself an alien. Every song he mentions that he is, he's simply So he's got to be telling the truth. He is <laughs> <laughs> I believe him. Well, my <laughs> husband and I play a game called Animal, Robot, or Alien, where you say which one you relate to more or which one you think someone is. And I usually say animal, but sometimes alien. Oh, but sometimes I'm a yeah. robot alien like Terminator. Mm. There's a lot of overlap. I'm probably an animal. It's a three-circle Venn diagram. I'm like a really excited puppy. Yeah, I think you're mostly animal. song I chose was Chewing Gum by Annie 
Annie is a Norwegian singer-songwriter, producer, and DJ. By the time her debut album Animal was released, Annie had already had a hit with her 1999 single Greatest Hit, um, ironically titled, mm-hmm. which she worked on with her boyfriend. I hope I'm not butchering this. Is it Tori Crockness? I don't know how to speak Norwegian. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, Tori tragically died from a heart defect before they could compete at complete Animal together, and she stopped working on it all together for six months. When Animal was finally, finally released in 2004, it was initially not given a ton of promotion by her record label because they didn't think it would have commercial success overseas. Um, but music bloggers leaked some of the tracks before the album was officially released internationally, and the album gained a whole bunch of critical acclaim among music publications that at the time were dismissive of pop music. Chewing Gum, the album's lead single and most commercially successful song, was ranked number 11 on Pitchfork's top 50 singles of 2004. But most importantly, the song appeared in Big Mama's House too. (laughs) (laughs) Many reviewers noted a certain melancholy to Annie's music and attributed it to the passing of her boyfriend. Um, In one interview with the Scandinavian Press, Annie explained... For me, it's really easy to write depressive songs, and that's why I never do that. I try to do songs that are a bit happier and a bit more complicated. I think there are too many songwriters writing sad, depressive songs, and I find it really boring, listening to music where people are just complaining. People should stop whining. I find it much more challenging to make songs that are pop songs, to make happy songs, and that's why I like to do it. I really like to make quite hopeful, happy music with a little bit of melancholy in it, with a little space of melancholy. Um, which I feel like is why Annie's music kind of resonated for me because I am by nature a melancholy person, but I hate listening to sad music mm-hmm. because it makes me too sad. Yeah. <laughs> so like it's kind of fit with my sensibilities. Same way like I guess like Badfinger and Big Star and other power pop does where it's like this is really sad, but it's all like so super high energy pop at the same time. And I listened to this a lot in middle school in between playing The Sims 2 and watching Degrassi. Speaking of jerks. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> I love this song. I put it on many playlists and mixed CDs at this time. I think I definitely like go-go danced at some bar to this. I did like random, they wanted alternative tattooed uh, go-go dancers and I did that including one time I go-go danced for corn in 2007 at the Hollywood Cemetery honor (laughs) in like the mausoleum (laughs) yeah my friend Sam wore a top made out of chain mail and chafed her nipples I love how disrespectful of the dead everyone is at Hollywood Forever. For Literally reason. dancing on graves. Yeah. Literally, that is what I was. I was paying a pretty good amount of money to do that, too, for corn. Yeah, I love that dead. for you, actually. If I was dead, I would actually be happy if my body was being disrespected People in that way. I mean, I plan not to be buried in the ground. First of all, I'm never going to die. If I do, I would like to be turned into a tree. Or, mm, no, tree, for sure. I want to be shot out of a cannon. My sister Ellen is planning a Viking funeral. She wants to donate her body to science, but was like, Oh yeah, I want to cut off. Yeah. But also she was like, I want to like have one limb preserved, which you're not legally allowed to do, but she's like, I want to figure out a way to do it. And then that can be lit on fire. And I was like, yeah. And then shoved down like the Olentangy river that catches on fire. (laughs) (laughs) So she's working on it. I don't want my body to be useful. I want to be frivolous in death as I was in life. <laughs> I would so like beautiful. to donate my body to science, but I don't think they'd really want it. <laughs> sure they would. Somebody's got to yeah. get carved up in biology class. Yeah. Do you want to learn about how your body shouldn't be? <laughs> <laughs> Have a look at mine. I would also, you know, ACAB, but I would also love to be donated to the corpse farm where they figure out how long you've been rotting in order to do forensics what the fuck Ooh, yes i don't want to rot that's my thing is like i want to be burnt up (laughs) if i don't don't get shot out of a cannon or what you could do is shoot me out of a cannon into a furnace (laughs) that would be pretty fucking sick (laughs) (laughs) i don't want my body to be preserved in a weird box and full of formaldehyde oh hell no no. because then you just turn into goo and then if there's zombies i'll be one i don't want that shit no. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I never want to be a zombie. No, no, I don't want my 
Zombies are gross. We've already discussed. I don't want to be goo either. I, I want I my bones to be. I don't want to be Glenn ever. Hughes, the Leatherman <laughs> goo. <laughs> I don't want to rot because I don't want to be ugly. No, all time like you get all bloated. Glo- it's like no, quote. no, 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 no. I'm straight Yucky. on that. I don't want blood to come out of my mouth ever. I don't like vomiting. I don't want to vomit even in death. You have very little control over that. I'm good on that. I'm really good on that. I actually always envision myself dying at sea so I guess I'll have a sailor's grave (laughs) how often are you at sea hardly ever but old people go to sea all the time I love that little on a cruise ship did they just dump you off the side if you die Uh, I don't know but if you you fall off a cruise ship no one is coming back to get you so but I will not be going on any cruise ships I will be living aboard a sailboat it's a complicated <laughs> end of life plan. <laughs> so anyway, that was chewing gum by Annie. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Baby Lee Roth. You can find us on Instagram at Baby Lee Roth Podcast. You can email us at Baby Lee Roth Podcast at gmail.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you want. Um, our music at the beginning is by Electromagnet Band. Our art is by Marlo Bro. And our, what do you call Mixing. it? Mixing. <laughs> is by Hunter Bergen. It's no Kokomo.